Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com and the Boyd International Aviation Forecast Summit this October in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. He finally knows we've made it on this podcast because he was finally the subject of hate mail. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, he was quoted this week by saying that there are only losers and bigger losers in the airlines because of this environment. Maybe he'll explain that to us. He's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. I wasn't calling you a loser, by the way, Ben. I was just talking <laughs> you know, broad terms about stock prices and stuff like that, right? Just to be clear. Well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, we're going to talk about a passenger who was kicked off a flight. Okay, nothing new there. But this one really hit home for me. Plus, we can always count on our listeners to provide some added clarity when not even we in the airlines know the answer to something. First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, uh, getting back to what I said in the intro, by the way, uh, I'm serious. We got this. We got this. This vulgar message. Uh, they, I, I can't even read most of it, but um, they, they, they called you a poo head for how you used to run Spirit Airlines, and so. Uh, so congratulations, right? People are like, I can't imagine listening to a podcast that I hate that much, but, I, but I'm still listening. But hey, I guess the, the old adage about how there's no such thing as, as bad attention. Well, you so. know, the funny thing, Seth, is most of the people who complained about Spirit never flew Spirit or flew once, had a bad experience and decided <laughs> not to fly again. But the people who flew regularly understood it. Right. They had the they hated the idea of, of Spirit or perhaps not the reality of it. And hey, the good news is if you don't like Spirit, there are. Lots of other airlines to fly, right? Uh, well, Ben, as we begin this week, airline shares have been up quite a bit, at least as we're recording this. Now, look, not everybody listening to this show is buying and selling airline stock, but I think most people listening to a show called Airlines Confidential care about airlines they're interested in it. They probably like to travel. So the question is... What does this mean for everybody, not just investors, but also travelers, uh, these signs of optimism? And it seems like one thing people were looking at was uh, that there was a new COVID-era record over the weekend. Sunday, upwards of 900,000 people passed through TSA security checkpoints. Now, for perspective, that's nothing compared to what it would normally be. Normally be, you know, two and a half, three million people. But that is well off the lows. And as I said, a new COVID era record. You had to go back to mid-March to find that many people passing through security checkpoints. So some reason for optimism there, even as on the other hand, we know in recent weeks, airlines have talked about how sort of the surge in bookings that they had seen back in June had flattened off. We know that in some states, the news is getting a little bit better in terms of new cases, but there are places like Texas where that hasn't necessarily been the case. So 
all sorts of news there kind of going in different directions. And on the other hand, there's also this optimism that there could be a vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, maybe not something that we'll all be able to take, but where maybe we can get to the other side of this. So help me sort of sort all that out. Is this undue optimism when we see hairline shared story right now? And just people looking for something to grasp onto that might not really be there. How should we feel now compared to maybe how we felt, first of all, a couple of weeks ago when things were looking a lot more pessimistic, but on the other hand, compared to a couple of months ago where things were looking maybe more optimistic than they have been looking? Well, you know, you walk into a house, Seth, and you automatically get the smell of fresh baked chocolate chip cookies and you feel really, really good. And you get that great feeling before you look and see all the furniture in the living room has been stolen. Right. <laughs> so, so I think I think what's happening is that there is it's such a down environment for the industry that people, meaning investors, are looking for any sources of optimism. So more people through through TSA check. That's a good one. Russia says they have a vaccine now. Who knows if it's been tested? Who knows if it works? Who knows how many, you know whether there's any truth to that or not? But. They, you know, they say that. <laughs> Who knows if it's safe? They don't seem to care about that. Just, just, <laughs> get, it, just right. get it in every, we'll figure that part out later. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but just the fact that people are saying, you know, hey, that that suggests, hey, maybe even if that's not right, maybe somebody else is close to a vaccine. That's, right. that's a good thing, right? Congress is stalled, but there's still some sense that maybe something's going to get done and maybe the airlines are going to get some more money and yeah. keep all their people employed after September 30th. So all these things are sort of sort of positive. So people say, well, we know that the country needs airlines. We know the economy needs robust transportation of all types. And so airlines are going to be bigger again and people are going to travel again. We don't know when that's going to happen, but maybe there's some signs it's going to happen. So maybe it's time to buy some stocks. Right. And I'm not saying that's smart and I'm not saying that. But I guess my point is it could go just as it could go the same in the opposite direction next week when someone says, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci says, you know, we're not going to see a vaccine until next summer, right? Or, you know, the, the Russia thing was a hoax. Or the government <laughs> says, you know, we may get something, but it's not going to happen until December. So now what's going to happen to employees in the industry in October, right? Any one of those things, and people would say, uh-oh, better sell my stocks now, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And so I wouldn't overinterpret stock moves plus or minus right now in terms of whether or not that suggests a truly systemic understanding of what's happening in the airline business in terms of demand recovery and who's going to survive and who isn't and things like that. That's my sense, Seth. You know, Ben, I'm kind of hungry and I'm still talk thinking about those chocolate chip cookies baking. That, that you're <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me a story about Midwest Airlines. Remember them, the Milwaukee-based airline that was famous for the cookies that they baked on board. Uh, I think there were people that flew them just because of the cookie. I mean, it's also a comfortable airline and, 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 and all the rest of it. But yeah, those, those sound good right now. Okay, back to the news. So yeah, a lot, a lot there to, to sort through. We'll have to see. And there's going to be more of this bouncing around. There's going to be more good news and more bad news. And all you can hope is that the long-term trend when we step back is more good than bad. That's right. uh, you, you know, there, there's going to be, I mean, there's no, I have no doubt that over the next month, Something terrible is going to happen, right? That's going to make us think, oh, no, here we go again. And just hopefully there's less of that than uh, of, of the good stuff. 
here. Well, Ben, you know, airlines in the U.S. and elsewhere have really been tightening their mask policies, right? I mean, it started off with JetBlue, actually, the first airline in the U.S. to mandate masks, but there were all kinds of exceptions and not a lot of enforcement. Other airlines quickly matched that. For still lots of exceptions and little by little, it's getting to where pretty much if you're two years old or older and you're flying, you have to be wearing a mask. And there are airlines that are saying absolutely no exceptions. And there are airlines that are saying certain medical exceptions, but, you know, with all kinds of documentation and, and all the rest of it. You can't just sort of say the kinds of things that you might have been able to say a couple months ago and get out of wearing a mask. And it's funny because when you hear these stories of people not wearing masks, obviously the temptation is to think those selfish people. And then you read stories and you realize how, look, uh, this this stuff is tough. And here's one I saw, Ben, that hit home for me. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. A woman, her name is Alyssa Sadler of, of a suburb of Houston. It's called Deer Park was traveling back from Midland, Texas, to Houston. She had her three kids. She has a three-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. All of this, according to, to Channel 2 in Houston, the NBC affiliate there. And they pushed back from the gate on Southwest Airlines. And the, the three-year-old would not wear a mask. And, you know, she tried and he was screaming. And her son uh, is on the autism spectrum. He has sensory processing disorder. And they turned the plane around and I mean, they, they, they made them get off and they said, look, it's, it's, he's, he's over two years old. He, he has to wear the mask. That's the rule. And uh, the reason that one hit home for me is because I have a daughter who, uh, you know, Abriana Ben, and she's awesome. She's on the autism spectrum. She has sensory processing disorder. I haven't traveled with her uh, during all of this. But I know her, and I know that those kinds of things can happen. It's stressful to begin with, the experience of flying with kids, and then you tell one of these kids who maybe has some added anxiety related to uh, the autism spectrum disorder that they have to put on a mask, and it can quickly spiral out of control. And so it gives me some sympathy, right? When you read the thing that you know all about, and then you imagine that there are other people in their own situations that you don't know about, but they have their own issues and you can understand how hard it is for people. And on the other hand, you can understand why airlines are doing what they're doing because how are flight attendants supposed to make all of these judgment calls? And in the end, if there's a three-year-old not wearing a mask who has COVID, who could you know, transmit this deadly virus to other people, then maybe on a societal level, we just have to understand that, yeah, if you can't wear a mask right now, the greater good is just that you can't be on an airplane, even if that means me personally, that I perhaps can't travel with with my kid because of this very real thing that, that she has. Well, Seth, I saw this story too, and I immediately thought, wow, what a situation. And it goes to the fact that, like you said, it is so hard to manage exceptions, right? It's easy to put out a blanket policy and say, if you're over two, you wear the mask. And it's easy to justify that for just what you said, you know, maybe anybody can transmit this virus and you're in a tighter situation in an airplane anyway, and people are naturally gonna be a little more nervous there than where they could naturally distance and such. But then you look at a situation where there might be a young kid who because either they're on the spectrum or something like that, has just 
the stress of that situation makes it difficult for them to comply in the in the short term. And like you said, to expect though that a flight attendant is going to have the ability to say, well, that's okay. And then somebody else who just has maybe <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, who's who's six and right. says, I don't want to wear the mask, right. but there's nothing right. wrong. There's nothing right. And he could wear the mask, but he says that. Now, now that mom says, well, wait a minute. Now you're discriminating against me. You let that parent's kid not wear the mask, but you won't let mine not wear the mask, right? And you just get into the slippery slope thing that it almost is important, I think, that you just right now in the environment we're in where everybody's nervous and everybody doesn't really know sort of how we're going to get out of this, maybe that societal good argument you made is the right one. But saying that is so hard to say when there are really legitimate cases like this case. This yeah, and, and this mom stuff. sounds reasonable. It, it, this is not, I mean, there's a reason we're not doing this during passengers behaving badly. Uh, it, we'll get to that. Uh, you know, I mean, and yeah, and and I read this and I'm like, gosh, I I have to agree with the airline, even though I completely sympathize with the mom and I could be her because of my very specific situation. But just because I would know how I would feel about somebody else not wearing a mask on board and, as you said, the slippery slope. And and, and so right now it kind of means that, you know, some of us just can't travel and, and maybe that's how it has to be. Uh, until this this thing is over, but yeah, that one in particular just shows how how tricky this all is. But I have to believe I haven't asked any any flight attendants this, and and I should, but uh, I have to believe that they are more comfortable with these blanket rules and no exceptions because they don't like being put in that situation. I just know in general where they have to make those those very tough judgment calls based on your experience with 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 flight attendants and other labor groups am i right about that that they just sort of say tell us what to do right tell us the rule and then we can follow it well yeah they run the risk of being um cussed out by a customer or or maybe a physical altercation with a customer who doesn't like the decision they made so they're put in the situation where they're the ones at risk and so I think it's natural to say, of course, they would like it that way. I think the same thing of like uh, a server in a restaurant, right? You know, you don't want a uh, a 20-year-old boy or girl who's home from college working at a restaurant is the one to enforce the six-foot-four guy who doesn't want to wear the mask, so you need to put yeah. your mask on, yeah. right? You, you, you don't want to put it in that, that kind of hands. So I think that's right. I think it is easier. It does make it work better. You'd almost have to sort of pre-clear it in a sense with the gate beforehand and with the doctor's note and all that kind of stuff rather than leave it just to onboard. Because, again, it becomes the slippery slope and it becomes the the loud voice says, well, yeah. what about me? Now? Uh, well, Ben, time next for a listener question and a clarification. But first, we want to thank Hotel Connections for being a proud supporter of the show. Hotel Connections is the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Visit hotelconnections.com. Arun of Dallas writes, as a follow-up from last week's show, I found that several airlines specifically do ban using DVD players until 10,000 feet. Ben, me speaking again, now you remember uh, somebody wrote in about that, that he had been asked to turn off his portable DVD player and... Uh, 
it was on American Airlines and he didn't understand why if somebody else could be looking at their tablet and we asked American and they basically weren't even sure and they sort of seemed to come down to the fact that just not many people have those old DVD players anymore but this is Arun speaking again now and Arun sent us a few links from other airlines that actually do specifically ban them Arun says uh, quote as a frequent flyer on AA I do vividly remember them telling us a few years ago that laptops and DVD players need to be stowed for takeoff. Thanks, Arun. And so it sounds like, although this just doesn't come up that much, like the American flight attendants actually did the right thing there by asking this person to uh, fold that DVD player, either because they applied the logic that we talked about last week, that it's a little more like a laptop because it's like this kind of bifold thing. You've got the part that sort of looks like a keyboard where the DVD plays and then the bigger screen or because they're veteran flight attendants who remember that that was in fact the rule. Dan from San Diego writes, hi guys. I just read in airline geeks about Americans agreement with its pilots to reduce involuntary furloughs. Apparently this innovative agreement is the first of its kind. Not that I think it requires too much imagination. He says, to be honest, but these parties have come up quite short in that department for many years now. Might this herald an era of improved labor relations at that airline? What do you think, Ben? And it's, it's true. American has a long history of a lot of things. You go back decades and you think of them as an airline that used to be innovative in a lot of ways, technologically, for example, you go back to sort of the 1980s, but an airline that has had a, a tough history of labor relations. I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at that, Ben, but but uh, what do you think about what Americans doing? And is there hope going forward here that they could get their interests aligned enough with their labor groups to where everybody can feel good about things in this in this tough environment? Well, at risk of being called a cynic, I'm going to say I don't think it means an era of new labor relations at American. I think what it means is that pilots as a group and as a union, and there are several pilot unions, Americans represented by its own union, is, or at least part of American, the issue is pilots understand their career and they understand how to try to maximize their career. And they know what's happening in the industry right now is really difficult. So who gets furloughed and who doesn't, what the pay is going to be in the short term and things like that. Pilots have always, I don't think it's, this is a new thing in a sense, is that broadly across the world, pilots have been willing to work with airlines in really tough situations to do their part to help the airline survive. Now, coming out of that, they are rightfully going to expect to get paid back for that. And they're going to remind American that they did this at some point in the future when they're in negotiations for a next contract or a, a next pay raise or something. But that's what they should do. They should make hay when the sun shines, but understand that when things aren't as good, they can help. And I think that's what's happened here. Kudos to the American pilots and the American management for getting a deal quickly. I do think that's great. But I don't think it suggests that it's going to be sort of kumbaya between management and labor at American for the long term as a result of this. I think it's a result of the the obvious, real difficult situation that the industry is in right now. And I think you see pilots across the industry in the U.S. and in other countries sort of raising their hands saying, look, we 
we want to save our jobs. We want this to work. Yes, we care about our careers. Yes, we care about our future, but we want this to work too. How can we help? And broadly, I think you see pilot groups saying that around the world. Well, Ben, uh, time now for passengers behaving badly. We joke sometimes about how it almost seems like every week we talk about spirit passengers behaving badly. But there's another genre uh, of passengers behaving badly elsewhere in the world where I feel like I read about something like this almost every week. And it is very often our friends in the United Kingdom, our good friends, right, who we love, but who go on like stag parties, as they're called there, bachelor parties, as, as Americans call them, to invariably, it's Spain, right? And, and, it, and it might be the Canary Islands, or it might be one of the other resorts, and, and and they just don't even make it all the way to the destination before something involving alcohol goes wrong. And in this case, it was uh, the British passengers uh, flying KLM, actually, so probably connecting through Amsterdam on the way to Ibiza. And that's a common destination for these uh, these kinds of stories. Uh, reading out from Fox News, uh, footage of this flight shows a maskless and shirtless man getting into a physical altercation with passengers. The footage does not show how the flight began. A man can be heard yelling that there are children present. Another clip shows passengers uh, trying to hold the shirtless man down while airline officials investigate uh, the situation. In a statement uh, obtained by The Sun, uh, the tabloid over in in, uh, the UK, a spokesperson for the airline said, quote, two unruly passengers refused to wear their face masks and they were bothering their fellow passengers physically and verbally. The pilot informed the local authorities and upon arrival, both passengers were arrested. Uh, the flight safety was not compromised during the flight. So they didn't even get to go out and act like idiots in Ibiza, Ben. <laughs> well, good for Ibiza, right? <laughs> I'm sure there were others. <laughs> you know, you, you sit in your seat and it's maybe the morning and you want a Bloody Mary or it's late in the afternoon, you want a nice glass of wine. That's terrific. But the idea of overconsumption of alcohol and airplanes just never worked, Seth. You know, it lowers inhibitions, it makes people act crazy, it makes people act silly, it makes them do dumb things, and you end up as a passenger behaving badly on airline <laughs> confidential. That's your consequence, I guess. But I think I think the airline did the right thing. I think they shouldn't have gone to Ibiza. They would have just caused more problems there, probably gotten into some fight, probably, you know, just who knows. <laughs> That's that's what people some people do, right? And the consequence they got the right consequence for this one. They didn't get that. And we're giving our British friends a hard time, but there are there are people like that everywhere in the world. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we already had a passenger or a, a listener rather provide a clarification for us about something last week. Up next, a passenger admonishes Ben about something we talked about last week when airlines confidential returns. Seabury Capital Group, a specialty finance and investment banking firm, boasts a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace, and defense, maritime and financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge, along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This 
is Airlines Confidential? We'll go back to the mailbag in a minute. But first, uh, Ben, at the beginning of this show, you mentioned that quote by me about how there are no winners, only losers and bigger losers in the airline industry right now. That was in Airways. Chris Sloan wrote, wrote a great piece. You can check that out if you haven't seen it in Airways. Uh, but you were mentioning to me during the break, uh, Rahm Emanuel's podcast. And I said, you know, well, let's, let's, let's wait. Let's talk about this on the show. What was it that you were going to say to me? You know, what I was going to say is, you know, I think you're absolutely right that in the short term, of course, there are only losers and bigger losers because all airlines are have lost passengers. They've lost um they're losing employees, right? There's there's questions about whether demand is going to return, when it's going to return. But, you know, Rahm Emanuel, the former President Obama's chief of staff and the mayor of Chicago for a number of years, he's known for this statement saying never let a crisis go to waste, meaning that sometimes when bad things happen, you can, you can get benefit out of them. So I wanted to ask you, Seth, is do you believe that the net result of this current loss and more loss environment might mean that some airline or some set of airlines actually does do a little better. Maybe one of their tough competitors get really weakened or goes away, or maybe they were able to buy another airline that they never thought they could buy before or something like that. Do you think that that's possible? Well, there's a history of that in the airline industry, right? We think of an airline like Ryanair which became really strong coming out of the 9-11 era when there was depressed demand for aircraft and they bought a lot of airplanes. They've always sort of bought a lot of airplanes when nobody else wants airplanes. Uh, actually, Airtran, uh, which later became part of Southwest, got a really good deal on airplanes also uh, back in, in that in that era. And so there's a history of it, not just in the world, uh, but in the airline industry, look, this one is different in the sense that the pain is just so widespread, right? It's it's not like, well, uh, like in the case of 9-11, okay, U.S. airlines are in trouble, but anybody else who has the ability to buy airplanes, you know, is going to get a good deal because the band is down because everybody is in this. But, uh, but no, absolutely, there is every reason to think that uh, and, and we might have just mentioned the few of those airlines. I mentioned <laughs> AirTran, South part of Southwest. Now, that when you think of you know, Southwest, Ryanair, I mean, these are airlines over the years that have absolutely been able to turn crises uh, to their advantage, and especially those are short haul airlines where, at least, uh, if anything, you figure the demand will uh, will recover faster than maybe for others, but also just airlines that are more deep pocketed that have the better balance sheets that are able to think more about. Uh, the long term, uh, and and even if they're not making big investments right now, because let's be honest, every airline is is just sort of battening down the hatches right now. They could be some of the first to begin taking advantage of whatever, you know, to use the cliche, whatever green shoots there are. What do you think about that, Ben? Is it uh, looking down again right now? No question, just loser to bigger losers. But but uh, a few years down the road, are there any airlines? I'll ask you the question that you think could be not only not as bad off as others, but actually better off because of what is happening right now? Well, I think there's a couple of things, Seth. I think, you know, airlines have sort of a, a somewhat unique opportunity to rethink their fleet plans in terms of what they could potentially get Boeing or Airbus to do right now. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, Delta, you know, saying we're out of the 777s and we're, or, we're, and we're out of the um, 717s and things like that. Those are huge moves. I mean, and and yeah. 
it's possible that those that those are going to be really good moves for Delta. They'll end up being more efficient. They'll end up having a simpler, which means less costly and more efficient fleet. And it's a move maybe they wouldn't have made but for this sort of thing. Let's talk about something much, much simpler and not even as broad as a merger or a failure or something. Imagine if a group of airport employees at an airline went to their airline and said, you know, we have people coming up coughing on us all the time. We want you to put these plexiglass screens all around our things, right, right to make us safe. Likely, rightly or wrongly, they would have been told, we're not going to do that. That's going to look like you're trying to separate from the customers. To We can't just do it at your airport. We're going to do everything. You know, we, we yeah. understand you're concerned. We're not going to do it. Well, now they've put them everywhere. But, but I don't imagine any of those airlines are going to take those things down. And yeah. yet, aren't isn't every airport person now safer in their job forever? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a tiny thing, but it's a good thing, right? Yeah, no that that's that's a great point. Um, and yeah, just that, and and I and we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, this is one we don't know the answer to, but any kinds of policies where airlines sort of without completely destroying their business model and making all tickets refundable and all of that, whatever they can do to somehow stop incentivizing people to travel sick. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like, but that would certainly be a benefit because there's there's no question over the years that people, again, as we talked about, not because airplane air is dirty or, or anything like that, but just because you are packed in there with a lot of other people. Sure. You know, if you're sitting next to somebody who has a cold, uh, you are more likely to catch a cold than otherwise. <laughs> and if and, it, and if we all just have a different ethic about that, and if airlines can figure out a way to make it uh, that, that we don't feel incentivized to travel sick, uh, another great way that the world could perhaps uh, be better in some way for all of us, in that case, for travelers, not, not just uh, not just for airline employees. There, you're absolutely uh, right about that. Back to the uh, mailbag now, uh, Taco Doc. In Vancouver, Washington, writes, I am a new hire ramp agent with a regional airline with a guy on the tail. Okay, so if he's in Washington State and there's a guy on the tail, it's a regional airline. Sounds like Horizon. Um, The regional that flies for for Alaska. He didn't say that. I did. Uh, Why did it take the Port of Portland over 20 years to dismantle the Acon course? Is our old, outdated airport with the 1980s carpet Really the best. So this is PDX Portland International. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't actually been there in a while, but I thought they were replacing that with the tile. I remember like selling off old squares of carpet. I haven't gotten to see that with my own eyes. But uh, can you help Taco Dog out here, Ben? Because I can't. Well, you know, I don't know the specific situation at PDX, you know, other than just looking it up because of, of Taco Dog's question, which is a good one. And, and he's kind of making fun of them while at the same time clearly loves his city, right? You can, you can see that in his note. But the point is that Airports do get old and terminals get old and airports have to decide what do we invest in and what do we refurbish? And that's expensive. It's expensive to do that. They have to float bonds. Those bonds usually have to be voted on by the local, whatever the political entity is that supports that airport. If it's a city or is it a port authority or whatever, um, Or they have to raise the PFC, which stands for the passenger facility charge, meaning everybody who flies to that airport has an increase in their ticket price so they can cover the new tile. 
or the demolition of the terminal or something like that. Yeah. So airport managers and the people who run the airports have really hard decisions when it comes to capital spending. And so it doesn't surprise me that it took 20 years to dismantle a concourse. There might have been all kinds of EPA things. Maybe there was asbestos in that thing, right? And they, and they had a, sure. and it took them 10 years to figure out how to dismantle it and not injure people in the process. I'm totally making that up. I don't know if that's true or not. But the point is, it can. 20 years to me doesn't sound like a long time to decide to tear something down. (laughs) As weird as that sounds, when there are so many complications around it and when when you're still deciding, you know, are we going to build this new terminal that is going to make this obsolete so it's easy to decide? Or maybe... We don't want to tear this down yet because it might be a cheaper long-term solution for us to refurbish this rather than redevelop all the space that's undeveloped right now. It's a real tough thing. So I'm sure that Portland, the Portland airport does as good a job as any airport around the country in managing that. It's not an easy job for airports to do, though. And that's why you see some airports look really nice, but they tend to be a little more expensive to fly to sometimes. Or yeah. some look nice in some parts and not in others because some has been refurbished and some hasn't. The point is airlines, what airlines want and what airports want are often different things, right? The airport wants really nice looking terminals with great concessions and real easy passenger flow. And the airlines just want a cheap place to park the plane and get it in and out quickly, (laughs) right? And so if it's going to raise their landing fee or it's going to raise their gate rental charge, airports will usually push back. I mean, airlines will push back against airports who want to spend money to maybe make it nicer for things that don't really help their operations. Mike in Grapevine, Texas writes, Ben, can you really even call yourself an av geek if you haven't seen Come From Away? Seth is right. Go see it ASAP. Bring tissues. Joe of Temple Terrace, Florida has two questions. Let's try to knock them both out. Uh, First, he asks, why doesn't United have competition on the famous, he wrote, Micro-Asia, I think he means Micronesia, Island Hopper route have any other airlines tried to compete with them on that route ben i think this is something you probably know well because you were at continental airlines you, that, that unit used to be called continental micronesia continental mike uh, people said they called it and and yeah it was sort of this i'll be honest it's something i don't know a lot about uh they're in 737 hopping between these islands uh but it's just sort of out there all these years and it is unique and what can you tell us about it and why, if it's so good for them, somebody else doesn't try to get in on the action? Well, I've actually floated it too, Seth. That's oh, wow. Pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat, actually. Um, you know, they, these are what that service does is it flies basically from LA to Guam through a bunch of, of smaller island places. I don't think they go to Johnston Island anymore, but they used to even go to Johnston Island, which was a nuclear waste dump. And like you, the only people who could get off there were like officials going to do something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but um, they carry mail, they carry uh, goods for people on the islands. Of course, not the only way the islands get things, right? But they're an important service. It's all, and, and they get some support from the islands for doing it too. So okay. it's almost like a no one's going to compete with them on that route because it's not like it's this huge money maker. What it does is it's really important to the economies of those very small places to have that plane coming in every day and for them all to get to the U.S. going one way or get to Guam the other way. And it's um, I'm not going to say it's a utility um, and I'm not going to say it doesn't make money, but 
but it's close to a utility in that sense. And it's not the sort of thing that another airline would say is, oh, they must be minting money on this hopper service. I'm going to put my own, I'm going to put my own planes there. Everybody would say, what are you doing? Like you're messing right. this up for us. Yeah. <laughs> so and the it's islands, a really unique thing. And the islands wouldn't subsidize a second airline to do it. Cause the no, that's right. And I mean, no, no other airline flies uh, to Easter Island either. Right. It's a, uh, it's, it's own, it's a part of Chile. Lon, and yeah, Lon yeah. flies from Latam yeah, yeah. now flies from Santiago to to Easter Island. It's part of Chile, so it's like a domestic route for them, even though it's like longer than U.S. to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a domestic route. But like, I don't see anyone jumping in saying, "Oh, I'm going to take that business from Latam." Right? It's not like Latam is minting money on that either. But it's part of their country. It's an important national service for them to do. And I don't see somebody jumping into that either. There are those yeah. kinds of services around the world like that, like the Island Opera. But it is a really neat service. And, and it's kind of neat that it still exists today. And you said 737s. I think it used to be 7-2s when it first started. Yeah, I was <laughs> right about that. Yeah, no, a long history there. Well, uh, Joe's other question, he says, why won't Airbus develop the split scimitar sharklet for the Airbus A320 so they can p- compete more on fuel efficiency against the 737 MAX. Couldn't Airbus choose to install a piece under the Sharklet? So, again, this is one of those things where people listening are going to have all different levels of knowledge about uh, winglets and Sharklets and all the rest of it. But uh, just for anybody who's totally uninitiated, when you look at the end of a wing nowadays, uh, it, it's it's almost never just flat. You know, there's, there, there's something more at the end of the wing that gives the plane – uh, some some additional uh, efficiency in our dynamics. Uh, so Ben, what about Joe's question here? Why can't Airbus match what Boeing is doing? Well, I think I think Joe's probably right that if Airbus thought that it needed to add more efficiency to the plane, could it do something with the end of the wing more than they've done to do that? Now, Airbus will tell you even before they had the sharklets that the very first A320 had that little tiny sort of triangle at the end of the wing, yeah. if you remember. It wasn't really a triangle, but it was um, maybe a chevron or some sort of you know, <laughs> thing there, right? Yeah, but a winglet. Yeah, they were ahead of their time. It was, it, it was yeah. tiny, and they said, well, look, we already recognize that airflow at the end of the wings does weird things, and we've already mitigated that with this thing. Then when they came out with the sharklet, it created lots of changes for the plane. I mean, at Spirit, we were the first U.S. airline to fly a sharkleted A320 SEAL, meaning a you know, the current engine airplane. And I remember it it literally was thousands of changes to the operating manual because of just that change. I mean, you think about it, it puts stress in different places. It makes the airplane perform a little different. The pilots need to understand. And it's a big, big deal to make these kind of changes. The fact of the matter is the Airbus A320neo sells extremely well against the 737 MAX. And and Airbus doesn't see themselves in a position where their product is at a deficit. They argue, look, our cabin's wider so customers can be more comfortable. Our engines can be bigger because our wings are higher. Higher, yeah. Good fuel efficiency. And we got these sharklets. They work really well. And overall, your cost of buying and owning this plane are going to be as good as better than the 737. That's what they're going to say. Boeing's going to say that's not true. Ours is better, right? But the point is Airbus hasn't had a problem selling the Neo. So they don't need to go spend more money to make it you know, do a little something which might be a little better, which is going to be an expense, but not allow them to really charge more for the plane. 
So I think they're fine with the plane they have right now. And if at some point they need to figure out how do we squeeze the next bit of efficiency out of it, maybe the end of the wing is the place to do it, but maybe not too. I'm not sure. I'm not an engineer enough to know sort of where the next best place to get efficiency out of the plane would be. And I'm sure there's somebody there who who is thinking about that sort of without uh, maybe not any sort of great depth, but what is the hierarchy of what you would do next if you had to. But right now, you're right. The reality is not only is, of course, demand for airplanes down, but with all Boeing's issues with the Max, uh, Airbus is in a pretty decent competitive uh, position with that airplane. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it for you on the air. Uh, you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Finer wine is next, but first let's talk about clear. Travel with confidence with clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, I do, Seth. Someone who identified themselves only as R of Bristol, Rhode Island, is complaining about United. Our rights, on June 16th, 2020, we were scheduled to travel to Croatia. We are U.S. citizens and Platinum Mileage Plus members. That's a very high level in United's program. And United Airlines arbitrarily refused us boarding, wanting an entry permission letter from the Croatian government after taking our passports and tagging our bags. United Airlines has never announced, posted, or notified customers that they, United, would deny boarding if customers did not possess a copy of an official letter granting permission to enter any country. When we inquired where that requirement could be found, the staff around us could not answer the question. The United staff in charge of international travel approvals then ignorantly gave us a copy of the IATA notice that only addressed EU citizens. She totally disregarded and omitted any reference to non-EU citizen entry requirements that have been published for travelers with postings updated regularly from agencies with legal authority on these matters. So this is interesting because Croatia, I would th- I mean, it would never cross my mind if I was traveling there. I know everything's different nowadays because of COVID, but uh, that would seem like a place where I could just get on an airplane and, and fly there as, as a U.S. citizen. Do you have any idea here what, uh, what was going on and if this is fine or, or a whine? Well, you know, if in the world we're in today, U.S. people can't go everywhere right now. Right. You can't just get on a plane with a U.S. passport and say, I can go there because certain countries don't want us there right now. And I've I've, I've joked with friends that there's nothing in the world more worthless than a U.S. passport. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. No, that's right. And so it's possible that Croatia is on that list. Right. That you can't go to Croatia right now. I don't know if that's true. If that's true, this is a wine. And those customers should have known that. And they should have known that they wouldn't be let into the country even if they were. Now, they're so adamant in the way they wrote this. My guess is they knew that they could go there. Otherwise, I don't think they would have been quite so, you know, look, at they're talking to us about the EU, Croatia's not the EU. They didn't talk to us about the non-EU. So I'm actually going to 
probably side with the customer and say, I bet they knew more about the situation than these agents. And as a result, they didn't get on their plane. Now, I may be completely wrong about that. And United may say, you don't know what you're talking about. These people didn't have the right documentation. We, we shouldn't have left them on. And it's possible United did the right thing. But they're so adamant about it. And they clearly fly a lot because they're Platinum Miles Plus members. They're going to Croatia for a reason, right? And so they seems like they would know... You know, in June, too, it's not like right when COVID hit, right? seems like they would know all that stuff. So I'm going to say that this is that, that this is fine, that, that United probably lumped them in with a group of people they shouldn't have been lumped in, and maybe they shouldn't have been let on the plane. I'll go out and say that. What do you think, Seth? Am I misinterpreting this? Am I being too nice to these people? I don't think you are, <laughs> but but I have to – you remember the uh, – well, I mean, it still exists. The, pardon the interruption, the show with uh, Americans know it. American sports fans know it, uh, the ESPN with Tony Kornheiser and, and Mike yes. Wilbon. And at the end of the show, uh, reality, Mike Reality, right, would, would correct them. You know, he has his own show. Or to, what, What's this? I, I just – it's Mike Reality, right? Am I, am I right about that, Ben? Yes. This is first time, right, yeah. Um, and he would and he would correct things that they said, right? Well, so this is uh, me being reality, correcting you saying Croatia is not in the EU. Now, I, I had to Google it to make sure. I had I, I said, is that are we sure that's true? And Croatia is in the EU. Oh, it is since, in the uh, EU. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Since uh, since uh, twenty thirteen. They've uh, they've been a member of the uh, European Union, so maybe some kind of travel restriction within the EU for people from other places, but not for Americans. Who knows? That would be uh, a little surprising. But uh, I guess there's nothing. Surprising well, Croatia. I'm looking too, and it says Croatia's a member of the EU, EU, but it's not part of sort of the border-free okay, Schengen, the Schengen area. zone. Okay, and that's what you're probably thinking of. Yeah, that you do have to. You are crossing a border, even though. Okay, no, that yeah. and that and that makes sense, and that's probably what uh, what. So so on the technicality and right now the united states like there there are limitations to the schengen area but not necessarily the whole eu so i think from what i'm reading it looks like it's right that these people are fine right that they they're not one. yeah they probably shouldn't have been let they should have probably should have been able to go to croatia yeah that's our second week in a row of finer wine involving united they're not the only airline that uh ticks off customers right so we'll have to make sure to uh <laughs> Get to somebody else next week. Well, on final approach, now that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And with a special thanks to Clear Hotel Connections and Seabury Capital for sponsoring us and for all of the people who sent in questions and called in with questions. We really appreciate it. I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.